Good evening, friends. What a game. I don't know if you wanted the Canucks to win. I don't know if you wanted the Canucks to lose. I don't know if your opinion changed once they got into overtime, but the Canucks escaped Dallas with a 5-4 overtime victory on the backs of Andre Kuzmenko and Anthony Beauvillier. Welcome, everyone, to Game Over Vancouver on SDPN, the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. My name is Clay Emo. I am Canuck Clay, both here on YouTube and on Twitter. Before we get going, before we get to our special guest, I invite you to like this channel, subscribe so you can get all the notifications. We cover all seven Canadian teams with post-game shows for all of them. While you're subscribing to SDPN and liking the video, you can also rate and review if you're listening to this on a podcast platform. And you can follow me as well, Canuck Clay, both here on YouTube and on Twitter as well. Before we get going, before I break down this game, before I bring in our guest, a quick word from our sponsor. Want to bet? Then get in on the action at Sports Interaction. The boys of summer are back on the diamond and March Madness is on deck. Bet pregame, live and play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Or in Ontario, download the app now using the QR code at the bottom of the screen 19 plus, please play responsibly. So to break down this game, I'm thrilled to welcome someone I've admired for a long time in the Vancouver sports media landscape. We've crossed paths at Lions games, Whitecaps games, Canucks games, and we've uh, we've done some stuff on, on the internet before. And um, I'm thrilled to bring him on. Always a gracious guest and always willing to help me out. So please welcome my friend, Mr. Scott Rintoul. Welcome, Scott. Clay, thanks for having me, man. How are you tonight? I am doing great. How are you? I'm good, man. All good. Lots to talk about after that game and after the week that has been. So just tell me, to start off, so uh, friends in the chat, get active in the chat section. Talk to each other. We will get to your questions at the very end. So we'll go three segments. We're going to talk about the game. We're going to talk about what we expect from the Canucks. And we're going to talk about um, Scott's brand new project. So Scott, before we go anywhere, can you tell everyone... Uh, very quickly, just a tiny bit about you, what you're doing now, and where they can follow you on social. Yeah, well, I've got my own company now called Toolkit Content, and the biggest piece of content I've produced on my own since I got that going about a year ago, Clay, is Unreal West Coast Express, and it's a nine-part series on the West Coast Express. It's a captivating story, if I do say so myself. I think those who've listened to the first five parts of it that are out right now, it releases every Friday would agree. And we're building toward a climax here. In fact, part of the climax is coming this week. Episode six and episode seven are the climax of the story. But as mentioned, it's a nine part series. It's an episodic kind of like a Netflix series, but for audio. And we've been building for a while now, Clay. It's been a lot of fun to put together. And and as you will talk about a little bit later on, compelling story featuring a, a very interesting time in the Vancouver Canucks history and actually in NHL history. Absolutely. And I can't, yeah, and I can't wait to talk about that. I listened to episode five, so I'm up to date, man. If, if it's still going to get more exciting than this, I don't know truly if I can handle it, but we'll get to that in a few minutes and tell everyone where they can follow both the show, your show and you on social. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. At Scott Rintoul on Twitter is where you can find me there at Scott Rintoul pro on Instagram, the show itself, very easy to find unrealsports.com, but that's unreal with two E's. Oh. And if you're looking on any of your, podcast platforms you'll find it on apple on google on spotify on amazon all your major ones have it unreal west coast express really easy to find very clever play on words there which we'll get into but first speaking of clever scott tell me something clever tell me how a team tell me how a team with Brisbois, julson wolanin burrows ratu playing four minutes and a brand new kratsov tell me how that team can knock off a playoff contender in the dallas stars it's hockey, Clay. It's hockey, man. It is the most unpredictable of the four majors in my estimation. It really is. And the Vancouver Canucks proved that again tonight. Were they the better team? Nah, probably not. But they had the better goalie overall. It was an off night for Ottinger tonight. Yeah. They were opportunistic. And they have guys in their lineup, as they showed again tonight, who can put the puck in the net if you give them the chance to do so. And the Canucks did just that. Now... Because I know you as a broadcaster on the radio, on TV, a writer, podcaster, as a fan, Scott, um, I don't know if you get, you're able to separate or maybe it's very easy for you to separate your, your professional from your fandom. What did you actually want to happen as this game? Canucks took two two-goal leads, give it up, then the overtime and uh, review. What did you actually want to happen or did you actually, are you actually indifferent? 
I am indifferent, quite wow. frankly. I'm there for the entertainment value of it. This is going to play out the way it's going to play out. I understand why people want the tank to happen. <laughs> I also think they want it to be games like this, but a 5-4 loss in regulation where they are seeing players like Kuzmenko score, where they're seeing Elias Pettersson add to what's going to be a career best season to this point in time, to see Quinn Hughes play big minutes, to see Thatcher Demko back in net, whether you think he's going to be back with the Canucks or not. You want to see all of those things, no matter which side of this you're on. You probably just want the score reversed if you're on the, hey, let's see if we can get the best possible asset this upcoming draft. Yeah, and, uh, and we're smart enough to know that the players will never not give their best effort. The coaches are coaching to win. Of course, you can make management and personnel decisions like have eight guys on your injured list, uh, which they have now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, tell me what you th- uh, what you thought of Bovillier's play and Kuzmenko. Those are the two guys that had three points each tonight. I thought Bovillier was really good, and he's been quite good since he's come over yeah. to the Canucks. And he's an interesting guy because when that deal gets made, For Bo Horvat, I think the assumption was, and for some people continues to be, he's a spare part. (laughs) He's here, but he's not here for long. Well, let's see. Who knows what becomes of Anthony Beauvillier because he's trying to prove to a new coach, to a new organization, that maybe he is a part of the future. And it's not like they're going to sign him to some crazy long-term deal. I can already see the comments coming in with me saying something like that. (laughs) But I think... Rick Tockett is trying to establish something new here. And for him, it is a clean slate. And it's the same for Anthony Beauvillier. So while the odds are Anthony Beauvillier isn't a part of the core for a crazy long amount of time after this, who's to say that he doesn't get a shorter term contract after this one? Or who's to say he doesn't find a role on this team after probably around a year of service before they have to make some decision one way or another? Where Rick Tockett goes, you know what? That's a guy I want. That's a guy who's played a lot of playoff games with the New York Islanders. That's a guy who's been in some battles. And yeah, I know he's not a perfect player, but he can work for me somewhere in my lineup. Yes, well said. And, uh, uh, you know, no one's going to sit here and say that he's a better player than Bo Horvat, but he's matching him point for point so far. Kuzmenko, he had a, uh, he got benched or not benched. Yeah, he had eight, nine, 10 minute games during that New York road trip and ever since then it seems like uh he's gotten the message and he's been playing very well as well the anti-tank missile right (laughs) he absolutely is this guy ties games he wins games in overtime this guy gives no you know what's clay about whether or not people want the draft stock to improve i love how much he loves scoring goals i know he's not alexander ovechkin no one's going to confuse the two i know they're countrymen but the enthusiasm he has for scoring is very much akin to what Alexander Ovechkin has showed his entire career. And just as a hockey fan, I don't care what team you root for. Yeah, yeah this is Canucks postgame show, so I know where most of your loyalties lie. As a hockey fan, I love to see this. It is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be entertaining. This guy is all of those things. He loves scoring goals. He loves being part of the Vancouver Canucks, despite the fact people aren't liking what he's doing as far as the results go. <laughs> Just one week after we saw that memorable exchange, banana, Pepsi on the bench. Did you catch it today? It was him and PD trying to talk after uh, the Bovillier goal. And Bovillier was just kind of letting them talk literally (laughs) behind his back. And maybe he didn't understand what they're saying or didn't care to hear what Kuzmenko... Kuzmenko seems like a chat... I think Kuzmenko, the skill difference is a little different. But I think if I was a professional hockey player, for better or for worse, I think I'm like the Asian version of Andre Kuzmenko. What do you think, Scott? I think you should brand yourself that way from now on. Well, we share Clay's the same. Manko. You are now Clay's Manko. I Put- want that to be your Twitter handle. I want that to be your Instagram handle for the foreseeable future. All right. You heard her, folks. Uh, uh, on Clay, Clay, we'll go with Clay's Manko. I think that sounds good. That sounds good. And uh, yeah, we do share our same love of Pepsi. I, uh, let's get back to another Russian player in a second. But also, I'd be remiss to uh, mention Quinn Hughes. Another three point night. I think they said something like 16 multi point. Games now for him this season, tying the record for a Canucks defenseman, and he still has another 20 games to go. What can we say about this player, Scott? Well, he shows all of the offensive flair that we have seen since he first stepped into the league. And yeah, there's questions about his overall game. Mm. And we could honestly do a half an hour, 40 minutes here about what this season really has been for Quinn Hughes. And I'm not sure we would come to a unanimous ver- verdict between the two of us or between any of the people who are following this post game and who are jumping in on the chat. It's, it's a really interesting season overall. And, and even a career to this point, 
for Quinn Hughes. We know how productive he is offensively. No, we know how creative, how gifted he is, what a great skater he is. Can they find a partner for him long-term? Can they find that particular person? It's going to be interesting to see what Rick Tockett does with him moving forward. Yeah. He wants to play him a lot. He should want to play him a lot. But who does he find to play with him? Who is that guy? We know what Luke Shen means to him. And it's going to be, I know something we're talking about in our second segment here, what the next week lies ahead for the Vancouver Canucks, the next five days, and Luke Shen leading up to the trade deadline. But Quinn Hughes is openly a pine. Mm -hmm. as to how important this player is for him. And the Canucks have a have a tough decision to make on Luke Shen. I know that draftists and futurists think it's a very easy decision. I don't think it is. I kind of fall where Kevin Bieksa falls on this one. Yep, no, you're right on. And yes, we will explore that a little bit more. I want to ask you about three more players real quick. Thatcher Demko, he makes 34 saves on 38 shots. I think he had more uh, breakaway attempts faced than... Um, then I don't know. I don't, I can't even think about it. It was bad. It was bad, but he was good. He was, although it was kind of an uneven game for him. It looked like a first game back for yeah. Thatcher Demko. The shot total is pretty high. The save percentage is a little below 900 in this game, but he made some Thatcher Demko-like saves. Yeah. Let's the five-hole goal in, which he obviously wasn't thrilled with as well. I think it's a pretty typical first game back, but considering the opposition and considering the quality of chances that you just alluded to yeah. clay i think it's a pretty decent return for thatcher demko who's had a rough season everybody knows it not just the injury but the play before that that has to be somewhat of a confidence builder for him you know you're right actually i didn't like the well it doesn't matter what i like but i didn't like the hints goal the one that went through and then yeah the first one by ben ben a little bit faster than i expected but maybe a little bit faster than demko expected too of you know sliding back in the net and then the fourth goal it was deflected off of besser so yeah i'd say maybe one or two but overall pretty steady speaking of uh you know up and down uh vitaly krasov he has just under nine minutes um not the biggest stat line the i had a one chance in front of the net that deflection that just went wide he lost a couple pack battles but overall okay for a you know a 23 year old who's who hasn't played a lot this year yeah pretty nondescript game yeah. overall and I think you'd expect that new team trying to fit into a new system. He's on the ice for the power play goal that gives the Canucks the 2-1 lead. Yeah. He's the second screen guy. He's the high guy in the slot on that goal. There really wasn't much in his game to dissect. And look, you don't want to overread anything too much. Let's see where he fits in. But as far as the future goes for the Vancouver Canucks and Kratzoff, he's kind of in that glut of wingers yeah. who potentially, if he comes back here, and I know there's the worry that maybe he heads back to his homeland in the off season and decides to play there in the future. But if he's back with the Vancouver Canucks next year, he's one of those guys that, all right, there are spots up for grab show. You deserve one of those. And there's a bunch of wingers in that category, quite frankly. Yes. Nice kid. I saw his media availability. Obviously I'm still learning English surprised. He didn't have pot coals in there to interpret for him, but uh, um, I'm sure he'll get more confident as it goes on. And Aturatu, I, I thought he was noticeable, especially that really nice pass to Pod Colson on that goal. But he only plays four minutes. And I get that the whole second period was all penalties. And as a non-penalty killer, you're not going to get any ice time at all. But still, I'm surprised at such a low uh, ice time total. Four minutes is is not even fourth line. It's like fifth line minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's low. It's lower than anybody would expect. Yeah. But also... Tockett's trying to establish a, you're going to have to earn it a little bit here. And it's that balance between, all right, we're into a place where we know we're not going to be in the playoffs and I want to know what you can do for us, mm. but I'm not just going to hand it to you. Right. And so you just mentioned it a few minutes ago with Kuzmenko. As great of a season as he's had overall, here's a guy who saw his minutes suppressed in recent times. So if that's going to happen with a guy who has been Pedersen's winger and formed that great chemistry with him over the course of the year... It can certainly happen to a Ratu, can it? <laughs> no, that that is true. And I'm just laughing, Scott, as you're talking about Ratu and all these guys and the, the glut of wingers. And just going back to my very first question is, what did you want to happen? Because my son, Sean, who's a big fan, as you know, he's watching it. And I basically said to him when it was 4-3, I said, well, what do you want to happen? And he goes, uh, you know, Dallas uh, ties it up and then and then scores with one second left. I said, okay. Then we get to overtime. And then he, he cheered when Kuzmenko scored. And then he kind of almost caught himself mid-cheer because he almost felt <laughs> guilty. It was like, yeah. but uh, I'm really glad that you can separate and you are, you know, even me as the founder of the GLCPC, I understand what it means to to improve your odds. I get that. I'm not stu stupid, but I also get that I, I 
in my heart of hearts, I cannot not cheer for this team, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I understand that completely. And yeah. I you see with people at the game as well. Yes. Not, not everybody going to the game is cheering for a loss and yeah. not everybody's cheering for a win. But once you get caught up in the excitement of it and overtime yeah. certainly provides that and a player like Kuzmenko is now approaching 30 goals, just knocking on the door of it. There are certain things you want to see. And it's it's tough to be super picky about all of those. You want to see Elias Pettersson hit triple digits this year. You mm-hmm. want to see Andre Kuzmenko go well into the 30s and may, who knows, maybe get hot down the stretch and take a run at 40 goals this year. Like you want to see all those things yeah. and you want to have the Canucks perform poorly overall as a team so that you can get a better draft position. It's tough to have all of those things happen at the same time. Yeah. And we only have to do this for 22 more games. So that'll be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, and who knows? I love your point though, Scott, about the excitement of going to a game, whether you're you spend time, energy, and money, whatever you do. And who knows, maybe you see a goalie goal when you're at the game as well. Okay, that's, that wraps up tonight's, you know, the talk about tonight's game. We're going to take a quick two-second breather so I can insert an ad later. Scott knows all about that kind of stuff on podcasts. And then we will get to our second segment. So we'll take a quick breather right now. Okay, with this win, Scott, the, the Canucks kind of break free of those bottom five. They are now four points clear of Arizona and the San Jose, Chicago, Anaheim, and Columbus of the world are actually closer to Montreal than they are those five teams. So that's kind of our backdrop. Let's talk about Luke Shen. This is the fourth game he has now missed. We know that his wife and him are expecting a child. Uh, maybe we wanted him to be moved earlier for the sake of that. But, you know, professional hockey player, figure all that out. We're both fathers. We know that uh, how, how tricky that is too. Bottom line, what do you think is going to happen based on what you know, what you've heard, who you talk to? Is Shen going to be moved, and what are the Canucks waiting for? Well, they're waiting for their price, is yeah. what it seems like they're waiting for. And when you see what the Toronto Maple Leafs paid for Jake McCabe, maybe they're right to wait for their price. I know they are different types of players, different age, all of those different things, but that's what they're waiting for right now. Yeah. I kind of lean to the Kevin Bieksa school of thought on this. It's not trade Luke Shen no matter what, take the best offer no matter what that is. It's more of a threshold question. Mm. I really think you can't go into next season devoid of veterans. Now, he's not the only one. There are going to be other guys out there, but he has established something with Quinn Hughes in particular, but also in terms of a leadership position within that room. It doesn't have to be a first-round pick. We know it's probably not going to be a first-round pick. But the question to me is, in that front office right now, what's the threshold for Luke Shen? Is it a third Is it in and around there? If you don't fetch at least a third round pick for Luke Shen, maybe it's a second. I don't know what that threshold is. But if you're talking fourth, fifth, sixth round pick, as Bieksa described in Hockey Night in Canada the other night, I'm kind of with him. Maybe the value is in keeping Luke Shen. He doesn't cost you much money. He's out punching his weight as far as what you expect from him at this point of his career from a leadership standpoint and from a production standpoint not offensive but overall so what is that threshold i think that's the real question that needs to be answered and it's anybody's guess right now it's a really good point because before all these trades started to happen this past weekend scott in my head yeah he's not going to get a first maybe you get a second if you're you're lucky but you've been hearing okay uh, third would be the the threshold as you talked about get at least a third then i see tanner janot going for a defenseman on five picks and i see you know 13 players getting swapped in that timo meyer deal so i and again, uh, I, maybe Luke Shen isn't in that category, but it does make me think exactly what you said is maybe they're waiting for the right price. And if it doesn't come, it's not the worst thing to, to keep them. And I think if you're losing a leader like Horvat and you're still trying to establish a culture, I'm sure Taka would love to have him on this team. Yeah, I'm sure he would. And it, it'll be interesting to see what that cat and mouse game ends up being for some of those other teams that you just talked about. Yeah. You look at what Toronto has done over the past week and change. You look at what Tampa Bay has done. You mentioned Tanner Janot. Is there a back and forth going on here? Hey, we're going to have to face each other. What are you going to do to counter this? Like, you can make a pretty good case that Toronto did what it did because of what Tampa Bay did. Now, the Leafs were going to add something all along, but did it expedite that process? Did it cause them to go after a particular player, whereas maybe they would have been less choosy and, and not spent as much draft capital? in going after an addition. And now does Tampa Bay respond? Mm. I I have no idea. And I don't know if Luke Shen's going to be somebody who's packaged 
for either of those two teams. But it's a really interesting game being played by a lot of those teams in the Eastern Conference, which is where all the draft picks are coming from right now, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not. They don't uh, not show up at the for the first two rounds. So let's talk about the wingers end. So I'm gonna for purpose of this, let's count Miller as a center, and we see how thin we are at okay. center when Miller doesn't play. So we know there's Pearson, Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, Pakosin, Hoglander, Beauvillier. Um, the list goes on and on. That's off. Yes, crafts up now. So maybe seven or eight or even nine wingers that are going to battle for top six positions or even even top nine. That's only six spots. Um, do you? See, I, I didn't even mention Connor Garland, Brock Besser. What am I doing? Um, but those are the two names that people are hoping, and I think easier said than done. Do you think the Canucks will at least? are exploring, we'll try to explore a move of either of those two players in the next five days, four days. Besser or Garland? Yeah. Either absolutely or. They or will. Yeah. yeah, I think absolutely they will. The Besser deal is harder to make because of the term and because of the money. Yeah. Although Garland, Garland's term doesn't make it easy as well. We know that Tockett and Garland have a history, so there is uh, a relationship already between the coach and the player, but it's pretty well reported that Brock Besser's name has been out there. The deal is just really difficult to make. And it seems like it's going to come down to whether the Canucks are willing to take something similar back a player who isn't particularly working out right now for whatever his cap hit is. And can they save a little money there? Can they save a little term there? Brock Besser can still play, but it doesn't look like he's going to be part of the future here in Vancouver. Does it? No, it, it doesn't. As much as we love him as a player and we we followed his story with the the passing of his father, Duke. Yeah, they're just something. Yeah, him and Garland, they're, they're, they're kind of, they don't play the same way, but I see a lot of attributes and they have good skill. They work hard. It looks like they're working on the hard on the ice, but they don't create like a Bovillier does or a Kuzmenko does. It, it's, it's strange. Yeah, Garland, I see them as slightly different players. I mean, I think Garland's work rate is higher, obviously yeah. a faster skater as well, but he doesn't have the same size as Brock Besser and and at top end when both are firing on all cylinders Besser is the better scorer I think we would all say that overall but he also costs you a lot more there are way bigger questions about his skating go back two three four years that's been a question with Brock Besser between regimes yeah. and you do wonder at this point of his career if he needs a fresh start for him as much as the Vancouver Canucks I don't think anybody wishes anything poorly for Brock Besser. He's a great young man. And as you mentioned, Clay, he's been through a lot in his life. Everybody wants to see him succeed. But right now, he's stuck in a rut. It's pretty clear he's stuck in a rut. Yes. No, absolutely. So uh, a lot of fans, as they see this trade, the the Horvat trade, they see that we give up Riley Steelman to get, yes, uh, a neat, uh, intriguing prospect in Josh Bloom. And then, of course, with the the Kratsov deal, it's it's a winger. Uh, when are we going to bring some defensemen in? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me, man. You tell me. I have no idea when they're going to get a defenseman in. And you outlined earlier, we were having this conversation, who was on the blue line for the Vancouver Canucks tonight? Yeah. Like, you can't blame anybody, even if they consider themselves a pretty ardent Canucks fan, for having to go back and check the roster a couple times during the game. Like, pick up the phone. I'm, I'm sorry, what number? Who? Like, that's what it's like right now for this team. And it's not as though when they get healthy, it's all of a sudden fixed. But this has been a problem for almost a decade. Almost a decade. Yeah. Look, in the past 10 years, Quinn Hughes, the best defenseman that they've had. Yeah. But I will make the argument with anybody that the 2014 blue line that Jim Benning inherited in Vancouver, and he made a couple of small adjustments to it, that's the best blue line that's been in Vancouver overall in the last 10 years. That was Edler, Tanev, Ham Hughes. A long time ago, man. <laughs> yes. Who was that? 2014. So, was that Edler, Tan- uh, Tanev, Hamhus, Bieksa? Bieksa, yeah. Like that's that's still there at yeah. that point in time. You know, and they haven't been able to find a way to upgrade it at any point. It's funny you mentioned that, Scott, because as, and we'll get to this in a few minutes, as I was listening to episode five, when I think of a top pairing that we had, I don't know, they played on the same pair of Oland and Jovanovski back in the early 2000s. That's really good. Like, I would, I would love to have a pairing of, of two really good Ring of Honor type players. Yeah, and those two players didn't play together most of the time, but every once in a while, Mark Crawford would throw them together. Yeah. Matthias Oland, the strong, steady hand on the back end who could 
matchup against anybody. And Ed Jovanovski was as unpredictable and as good a skater offensively as there was in the league at that time. It didn't always work out. He took some chances, but yeah, was good enough to make Team Canada. He was a pretty decent defenseman and yeah. and did some pretty big things for this franchise and really helped that team. But yeah, if they could get a couple of anchors like that on their blue line, because I think that's an underreported part of that story. I know we're going to get to that in a little bit, yeah. but that's an underreported part of that story, that that blue line was better than it gets credit for sure. because of the offensive prowess of that team. And boy, could this team that has a number of offensive weapons use some players on the back end to help them out. Yeah, and it's, it's so funny you said, you know, get a phone book or, or get a roster sheet because – uh, I told you that Sean, my and viewers here know that my son Sean, I go to a lot of games. He knows a lot about the Canucks. My second guy, the bowling champion Jacob, he doesn't know as much about the Canucks, but he's trying to learn. And he basically said he looked at the defenseman. He said, "Who's Walgren?" And I couldn't figure out who's. And it was Wolanin. So he, he's still trying to figure out some of these names on our on our team for sure. Okay, uh, last question about the trade deadline. Uh, no, two two questions. Uh, number one. If you, this is such a silly question, but people ask me all the time. <laughs> if you had to somehow, if I gave an over and under, here's this, 2.5, 2.5 trades between now and Friday, are you taking the over or the under? 2.5 more from the Canucks. I'm taking the under. Okay. And I'm taking the under because they've already made a significant number of moves. Yeah. Already. Like they've already done some volume dealing here. Probably more than people expected. Everybody expected Bo Horvat to be done, but they've made more moves here in recent days than I think people expected. So I'm going to take the under on the two and a half. Fair enough. And finally, when you look, uh, Luke Shen trade notwithstanding, because we don't know what that's going to be, if that's going to be, when you look at the three deals so far, Horvat, Beauvillier, Stillman, Bloom today, and then Kraftsov for for Lockwood and the, and the seventh uh, round pick. Whether you grade it or how, what are your thoughts so far on what Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford are trying to do? And do you like it? Well, I understand it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I like it yet, Yeah, but I understand it. I thought they did well in the Bo Horvat deal overall. I think it's unfortunately for them, if they could go back in time, they would never make that deal because they wouldn't have done a couple of things last summer that they ended up doing. And Bo Horvat would still be a Vancouver Canuck. Yeah. However, they put themselves in a position where they had to capitalize on an asset. The season went far worse than anybody expected it to. So I think overall they did pretty decently in that Horvat deal. As for what's coming now, I do see it as volume play at this point. Hey, mm-hmm. we're going to have to scratch some lottery tickets here. So if you decide that whether it's William Lockwood, Riley Stillman, whoever it happens to be, okay, this person is not a key element of the future. Whatever level of player that is, we're open to listening on anything. And if we see somebody who could be, maybe not not even convicted on, but like a Kratzoff, for example, mm. I don't know if he's going to be a part of the Vancouver Canucks future. They probably don't either, yeah. but it's a risk worth taking in their mind. Does Bloom work out? No idea. But again, they decided Stillman wasn't going to be a player who was going to be here for any amount of time. So why not take a shot at somebody who might be a part of your organization? down the road that's where they're in and it's a volume play as much as anything else at this point clay i love that term volume play i'm going to start using that along with uh, clay's (laughs) manko that a lot of people in the chat are really getting behind and yeah i saw a couple people mention on twitter that at least this organization at least this management they're not afraid to make a move when they for whatever reason they don't see a lockwood a stillman working out here so that that is maybe one difference that we're already seeing a subtle difference between this regime and the previous one. Okay, Scott, this is awesome. We've talked about tonight's game. We've talked about what we expect over the next four days. Let's go back in time about 20 years from now. I want to spend a few minutes because, uh, and I, I, I don't need to suck up to you. We're buddies already, but I am enjoying this. Anyone, if you have not downloaded or started listening to Unreal, it's the story of the West Coast Express, Marcus Naslin, Todd Bertuzzi, Brendan Morrison. If you haven't subscribed already, please, uh, it's, it's amazing. And Scott is a masterful storyteller, a brilliant writer. And um, I have a couple of things I'll, I'll say as we spend the next few minutes talking about it. But first, Scott, the, the don't have to go through the entire genesis, but why? Why? What, what, what was the genesis? Yeah, truly of why this particular story at this particular time? Well, there's a few different things. I listened to a long form podcast a few years ago called Fall of a Titan. It's a Steve McNair story. And it it revolves actually not so much around his career, Clay. It's actually about his murder or his death and and whether or not there was any suspicion. But it was long-form storytelling. And it 
related sports to true crime. Mm. And it struck me that not enough of that style of storytelling, not necessarily hard crime, but just the style that comes with a lot of true, true crime podcasts, it wasn't being done very often in the sports world. I think we've all seen 30 for 30s. And most of us, if you're a sports fan, love the concept, yeah. love that style of long form journalism. And I didn't see enough of it in the podcast world, but I wasn't working that job at the time. I was on radio full time, but it was something in the back of my mind that stuck. And then I thought the West Coast Express would make for a compelling story because there's so many elements of it that are, as we ended up naming the franchise, unreal. The fact that three different players get acquired by three different general managers all two years apart, like they were all part of somebody else's plan. They don't work out with their original organizations and they wind up on the same line and become the most dominant line in the NHL for a short period of time. Like that in itself is a great story. Yeah. Then you throw in the personalities of those three players. <laughs> then you throw in the fact that they go through some incredibly memorable highs together and some incredibly memorable lows together. Like it's not just that they lost in the playoffs, Clay. They lost in ways that you don't forget. First of all, as a Canucks fan, but I think as a hockey fan yeah. overall. Like the way they came back to win the only playoff series they end up winning together against the St. Louis Blues, but the way they lose against the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like even the last series they end up playing together, and this isn't a spoiler, this has all happened. <laughs> so it's not as though I'm wrecking this for anybody. And what I love about the podcast and the fact that these guys are willing to share their stories is that they give their perspective on these events that are memorable to people in the hockey world. The last series they play together is the overtime loss to the Calgary Flames in 2004. But think of even how it got to overtime. Think of how it even got to game seven. You know, yeah. I won't spoil it for those who've kind of forgotten a little, but like it's incredible the, the number of memorable moments this group had together, together, I should say, Clay, despite the fact that they didn't end up winning a championship. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, there's so much there. Um <laughs> What I love, so a couple things. I said to you before we press record came live here that I appreciate that you just didn't start the story the year that they were formed as a line. You went back, 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 and not just even when they were each of the three guys were acquired, but you went back even further to tell stories that you would then call back to, refer back to, and setting the, the tone of leadership between Lyndon to Messier to Naslin, whatever it may be. So I, I appreciate that that wisdom. Did you write this whole thing yourself? Yeah, I'm the writer and narrator of the entire project. Wow, wow, wow. So did all the interviewing as well. So okay, and that's what, perfect. I was going to ask you. Um, did it take any, and you've had, you obviously have the three principles, then you, you, there's Crawford on there. There's Brian Burke, there's the Sedins, there's, there's, uh, there's Trevor Linden, so many, uh, wonderful players from Canucks past. Did, um, did any of them that actually are on the, anyone have second thoughts or really had to yet, yet to give them a hard sell to be a part of this project? No, quite well, frankly, that wasn't the case. And there's a couple of different reasons. And, the one I really didn't expect was Wayne Gretzky, who's featured in the first episode. And that one came through a mutual contact who I sent a message to saying, do you think he would ever consider something like this? And that contact said to me, you know what? He actually likes talking about hockey history. So he might. And then one day my phone rang and it was Wayne Gretzky. That's a different story for a different day. We wow. don't want to waste all your time with no, no. that. But it was pretty incredible feeling to have the great one phone you up on your cell phone and start talking to you. <laughs> and refresh he me. didn't uh take does Mark it Messier... didn't take much convincing. Sorry, I was just going to say it didn't take much convincing, yeah. um, Clay, because for almost everybody, when I threw the idea at them, they said, oh, that was a great time in my hockey life. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And that's really what that team embodied. Right. No, it didn't win a championship. Only won the one playoff series, as I mentioned. But that team was fun. That team was entertaining. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, as you, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry, I was asked. I couldn't remember if actually Messier is in it. I can't remember. He is not, He's unfortunately. Not. I tried very hard to get Mark Messi on it, and yeah. he has a lot of other work commitments. And sure. I said to you before we started this, and, and I'll say it to anybody who has any questions about who's on, who's not on, I've tried not to pass any judgment on people who elected not to be part of it. A lot of people have things going on in their lives. Some people... Maybe they're out of the spotlight. And they don't want to be back in the spotlight. I'm not casting any judgment. Yeah. The vast majority of people said yes. 
And I knew we could tell the story if we had the three principles and then Crawford and Burke. I thought those were the five pillars for this story. Yes. And we got them all. And and then obviously a lot of others, including the Sedins, including Ed Jovanovsky, Corey Hirsch, Dave Babbage. You mentioned a bunch of the other guys as well. It's yeah. it's been a lot of fun reconnecting with many of these people. Yeah, even Jim Houston. I love I love his uh insight as well, calling a lot of those Tommy games. Larshide. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, Jared in the comments says West Coast Express has some of the best production I've ever heard on a podcast, and he says thank you so much for your work on that, Scott. It's outstanding. Thank you, Jared, and I want to give a tip of the cap here and a shout out to Andre Deacon. That's the professional name he goes by. A guy that I worked with as an editor many moons ago, and we've stayed in touch over the years, and he's great. So. Big, big shout out to him for the production value, some of the music you hear, yeah, uh, and, and a lot of the rendering as well. Okay, so I'm going to go a bit geeky now because you you know that as a content creator, I, I like the tech side and I, I just kind of mm -hmm. like that kind of thing. Um, so a couple of things. Were all these interviews done by Zoom and cell phone or did you actually go in person for any of these ones? No, these were all done virtually or yeah. by cell phone. Yeah, yeah, the three principles were done primarily by phone yeah. and then the vast majority we used uh, something similar to zoom called Riverside FM. Cool. If, if we weren't coming out of a COVID world, even though it's been about a year or so, do you think um, it would still be the same? You still would have recorded it that way. Like, and I say this because the audio is very clear. Like, it's, it's very impressive. And then I've heard some where, you know, they're not in the same room and it, it's bad. It's echoey. The, the S's don't come out well. So the audio is really good. Did you have any thoughts of trying to get to these guys live or did that not make any sense? Well, it's funny because they're located all over the place. And yeah. so it's really difficult to track most of them down. There are some that I could have probably done in person, yeah. but just for ease of schedule and to be as flexible as possible, totally. we just did the majority of it this way. And, and yeah. I've had the question too, did you consider making it video? And I actually didn't. Partway through, I did and thought, hmm, this would have been good. There, It does become a little bit of a different ball game in terms of working with the the national hockey league when right. you start using video. So full disclosure, I signed an agreement with the national hockey league. So I'd be able to use game audio because I thought it would enhance the podcast, yeah. even though it's not the primary driver of audio. I thought being able to use it on particularly important moments or moments that I thought needed a little more color was going to be important. So yeah, I signed an agreement with the national hockey league to be able to use their audio. But when you cross over into the video part, it, it can be done. It gets just a little bit more complicated at that point as well. So yeah. I would do it, but it would, it would certainly uh, create a, a few more logistical challenges along the way. I might need a bigger team with me to help. Me. Yeah. I hear a lot of loud and clear, bro. Every time I show a highlight, I, then I get that copyright uh, <laughs> message from, from YouTube. So, <laughs> so I'm nine sure. episodes, 40 to 45 minutes each. So at least, you know, 366 hours of content. Did you leave a lot on the chopping floor or did you really use almost everything that you got? Obviously you have to edit down some of the interviews, but was, was that, was that uh, process a tough one for you? Yeah, it is. It's hard because you do have to be choosy at some point in time. Whose comment makes the most sense? Who mm -hmm. do you need to hear from here? And sometimes the person you wanted the comment from didn't provide you the right comment. So you use something else. I, I left a lot of, it out. Not anything that I felt was important to telling the story. And I've tried to include the best stuff, Yeah. but yeah, there's sometimes where people tell the same story, maybe just slightly different. And so whose voice makes the most sense to tell that story, you mm -hmm. know, de depending on how far listeners are in, you'll notice there's a couple of places where I let two people tell the story and kind of go back and forth between them. That's a technique I use for a couple of, of different things along the way, you know, yeah. Brian Burke's Christmas speech during yes. the 0102 season is an example of that. He and Morrison tell that story together as they go through um, rather than have each of them tell the story or just leave it to one. I thought it was kind of cool to let both of them tell. Yeah, actually, I think that's what I just listened to this morning. That's episode five, right? The one that just came out. Yes, it is. So here's a question then. Did you in your head, did you say, okay, I'm going to do about nine episodes at 45 minutes each, or did you kind of let it just go and whatever it turned out to be, it would turn out to be. Yeah. Originally, so you gave me credit earlier for saying, hey, you didn't just start it where these guys got together. Like if I was smart enough, I would have planned it that way from the beginning. But I kind of stumbled to that along the way, Clay, quite frankly. Like I thought about, hey, well, you'll, you know, you kind of guys get dealt here and then they no, no. 
I, I figured out while I was digging into this, that you needed to set it up better. You needed to show people how they went from the high of 1994, almost winning the Stanley cup. I know that's kind of a low, but you know what I'm talking about? High point for the franchise at yes. that point in time. And four years later, it's chaos as Corey Hirsch calls it. And many others called it around that time. Like how did they get there? And so why was this group led by Naslin Bertuzzi and Morrison so important? And as it unfolded, and as I saw where I thought natural breaks were in the story, that's how it ended up being nine episodes. Right. And while they probably will average around what you said, 45, 50 minutes, yeah. it fluctuates a little like the first episode, I think it comes in around 35 minutes. Yeah. Here's, here's good news for you, Clay. Good news for Canucks fans out there and anybody who's consuming this and enjoying this content. Episode six that's coming this Friday is almost an hour 10. Wow. Episode seven is almost that long as well. Wow. Well, there's one particular incident that I, I can't wait to hear how it's covered and how what they talk about. I'm, I'm sure most people know what I'm talking about. But yes, I'll, I'll wait to till that comes out. That's probably in episode seven, six. Correct. Yeah, yep. seven. Okay. And those are the two longest episodes Right. of the entire series not surprisingly because episode six covers the 0203 season which is the high watermark for that group yep that's half of the climax and the incident you referred to was todd bertuzzi and steve moore is yeah. the other half of the climax for that group and it happens the next season so not surprisingly those are the two longest episodes yeah i'm not applying to be in it because i know the show's already over but you've already recorded but <laughs> i know in all seriousness i was at that game uh in the nosebleed scott and when when Bertuzzi first hit him, everyone was cheering because yeah, finally retribution, retribution. And then as soon as they saw how serious it was, uh, just like a you know, complete, you could hear a pin drop. It was it was surreal. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced before. I was there as well, covering the game play, yeah. so I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah. there is a very accurate description of what you're referring to right now in that particular episode. I'll. Wow leave it to you to listen to who gives that description of what you're saying, but it's very accurate. And in fact, so accurate that I didn't feel the need to provide my own recollection. I thought it spoke very well to it. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait. We're going to keep Scott for about five or seven more minutes. So this is your chance in the chat to start uh, typing some questions about either his podcast or the game tonight or the direction of the Canucks, wherever you want to go, anything that we touched on or didn't even touch on, start putting in the chat. And in the meantime, Scott, I'll ask you one last question. Is sure. this West Coast Express story the first of a, a a series of long form podcasts, or what's the plan going forward with respect to something like this, if anything, going forward? That is the plan going forward, yep. in fact, Clay, and it's why we named it Unreal West Coast Express because the original name of the project was West Coast Express, and we decided we wanted to create the opportunity for our franchise. So Unreal is actually the franchise. Yeah. And the hope is at this point that West Coast Express is season one. Awesome. That's the that's the plan. And listen, you mentioned it before. We called it Unreal for a few different reasons. Obviously, this line, that team was Unreal, the way that we normally use it in the sports parlance. But also Unreal means to unravel a little bit. And the fact that it's an audio podcast, to me, also the play there is that real refers to real to real, as in video and film. Ah. And this is not that. This is unreal. So there's a few different levels to the name. Okay, I got the first two. That third one, though, I I, I never thought <laughs> of. And I, I love it. I love that kind of thing. All right. Uh, thank you, Scott. And and truly, uh, please accept my, my, my congratulations, my affirmation. It, it is awesome. It is awesome. It's uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's the first thing I listen to as soon as it comes out. Um, for sure. Uh, Moonstorm says this, M Moonstorm, do you try to extend Beauvillier in anticipation of a career year next year, raising his price? Um, he's been playing very well. Or do you just kind of let it play out and see what he does next year? Yeah, I wouldn't do it at this point yeah. in time unless you see a, such a friendly deal for that extension that it becomes a very portable contract. I've mm. felt for a very long time that as much as people want to look at the AAV, it doesn't matter to me as long as the contract's portable. You can sign a guy to whatever you want as long as that number and that contract is movable because other teams view it in the same manner. Right. That's always been my thought. So I would not go down that road with Anthony Bavillier at this point in time, especially given the glut of wingers and that here's a player who, if you look at his history, he's had swings like this in his career where everything's going really well. And then he's had some, some dry patches, of course, and and so, no, I wouldn't go with, with that. I understand the thought. 
And really, if you think about it, Clay, that's what they did with Brock Besser yes. last year. Not necessarily knowing he was going to have a career year, but my firm belief is that they gave Besser that contract thinking, all right, he's going to have a strong enough year that he now potentially gets us something else. I'm not saying they wanted to move him from the second they signed it, but I think they believe by giving him that, the deal would look attractive enough that it was an option they would have. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. And let's just see. Yeah. Let's, let him keep playing and see how he's doing. Fangirl asked this. Could you see uh, maybe recency bias? Cause he, uh, the Dallas stars, could you see Pavelski eventually signing a one day contract with San Jose to retire there? Like BX did in Vancouver. I'm sure we're talking about years down the road. Uh, it, that's not very common, but uh, I'm not sure if Fangirl has a, has a real interest in Joe Pavelski specifically, but you, could you see it happening? Yes. Yeah, I could see it happening. 1000%. He has meant so much to that franchise. And in fact, I would say, fangirl, that if you go back and look at the downfall of the San Jose Sharks in recent years, a lot of that's tied to letting Joe Pavelski go. Mm. I really believe that. I'm not saying they're at the top of the Western Conference or anything like that, but I do think there's certain players in your organization that everybody in the room and even players around the league want to see taken care of because of what they've done for that franchise. Joe Pavelski was a San Jose Shark died in teal like that's exactly who he was and he didn't want to go and they decided to make calculated bets on giving money to other players mm -hmm. i think it had a detrimental effect on that room hold on you're not going to take care of joe pavelski right well a lot of us have decided to come here in part because of a player like that because we've seen how you treated him joe thornton go down the list overall Maybe I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah. Maybe I'm not so sure what this is all about. I really think it it hurt that organization big time by not bringing him back. That's a really good point. And you know, when I know San Jose was trying to kind of rebuild or retool on the fly because they had the old guard of Pavelski and Thornton going out, and then and Marlowe, and then they had guys like Meyer and Hurdle and Couture and LeBanc and all these guys coming up. And I don't know, there just seemed to be a disconnect and maybe it's a little bit of what you're talking about there. I don't know. I was surprised. Well, and again, if you remember around that time, that was when they gave a lot of money to Eric Carlson and they gave a lot of money to Evander Kane at that time as well. And yeah. there were players in that organization that had taken less money and Canucks fans will remember this from about 10, 15 years ago when there were players who took less money to stay because they knew the money was going to be spent on players that would help them get a better chance to win. Right. And there were lots of guys who did that. And I'm not saying they were upset that Evander Kane got retained or that Eric Carlson got retained. I know it didn't work out with Evander Kane and stuff went off the rails there a little bit, but I think when it comes at the expense of a Joe Pavelski, now you look at those things a little bit differently. Yeah. Like, Hey, if you're going to do that and retain the guys who have become the core and the nucleus and the heartbeat of this organization. Okay, cool. But if you're going to do it at that expense, not sure what we're doing here exactly. Yeah, you take a team-friendly deal and then the NHLPA gets mad at you. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Scott, this has been awesome. I, I know you have a young family, wonderful wife and, and children at home. So thank all of them for giving your time. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll, we'll do a wrap-up, then I'll let you go, and then I'll do the formal wrap-up to the show. So once again, can you – so my three takeaways. Number one, Make sure you subscribe to the Unreal West Coast Express podcast if you haven't already. Number two, Scott picks the under 2.5 trades for the Canucks more from now until uh, Friday. And number three, he has coined me as Clay's Manko, and that is going to be my my self-proclaimed nickname going forward. Scott, thank you so much. One more time, where can everyone follow you and your show? At Scott Rentoul on Twitter at Scott Rental Pro on Instagram, and you can find the podcast and more information about the podcast, unrealsports.com. That's unreal with two E's, unrealsports.com. If you just want the podcast, go to Apple, go to Spotify, go to Google, go to Amazon. You can find it there. Just type in West Coast Express and you'll find it. Scott, goes without saying, you are an unreal guest. Thank you for today. Thank <laughs> you for your time and your, your knowledge. And I will message you later to thank you more profusely. But thanks again and have a good night. We'll chat soon. Thanks, Clay's Manko. Have a good one. Okay, take care. Thanks, Scott. Awesome. That is Scott Rintoul. So good. Uh, so grateful to him. Uh, I've been trying to get him on, actually, for a little while now. Um, our schedule's never lined up perfectly, but now 
they did, and we were blessed by it. So uh, thank you to all of you for joining me tonight on a night where the Canucks indeed win 5-4, beating the Dallas Stars in overtime. Andre Kuzmenko, Beauvillier, and Quinn Hughes leading the way with three goals apiece. Next show is Thursday as the Canucks host the Minnesota Wild. And I'm just looking it up. I'm pretty sure that that game is going to be Kaya. So I think Kaya May will be running game over Vancouver this Thursday. Yeah, it's weird. The Canucks were away, came home for one game against Boston, then pop up for one more game against Dallas that we saw tonight, and then come home for a lengthy homestand actually starting this Thursday. So it's indeed, yeah, I think it's Kaya is doing this Thursday. So make sure you join her. Make sure you follow Scott Rintoul at Scott Rintoul here on Twitter and, and follow his podcast, Unreal West Coast Express, as well. Thank you, everyone. On your way out, make sure you subscribe to this channel, SDPN. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you check out our, our sponsor, Sports Interaction. And you can also follow me at Canuck Clay, both here on YouTube and on Twitter as well. If you still want more Canucks content, if this wasn't enough for you somehow, in, in about 40 minutes from now, I'll be doing my own show with Parker, Parker's Pucks, and that's called Canucks After Dark. Just look up Canucks After Dark on YouTube. And then even after that, I'm doing my own show solo tonight on my own channel, Canuck Clay, at 11.15 or so. I know that's really late for your East Coast folks, but if you still want more Canucks talk, you have more options tonight. Okay, we are done. So as always, thanks for being here, and make sure you rate and review on a podcast platform as well, and like the video on your way out. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. By the way, have you heard this one? A guy walks into a bar, but then he's disqualified from the limbo contest. Take care and go Canucks go. Good night, everyone. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.